Welcome to Dead Pilot Society. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and co-host of this podcast. Before I get into this week's episode, I want to let you know that tickets are on sale for our next live show at Largo in LA. It's Sunday, November 12th, and it's going to be another good one. We've got Patton Oswalt starring in a dead pilot from Rob Schraub called Jetpacula, which is insane, and you're really going to need to see it. And if that weren't enough, we also have a dead pilot from Adam McKay and Chris Henschey. I have a feeling this one's going to sell out fast, so don't wait. Go to Largo-LA.com for tickets. That's Sunday, November 12th. I'm really excited to bring you this episode. For one thing, the sound is great. We're really figuring that out, guys, so thank you for bearing with us. Uh, for another thing, the pilot is great. It's Frontman by Emily Kapnick, and it's one of two musical pilots that we did at Largo back in June. I'm not going to say too much here because you're about to hear my whole intro with my co-host Ben Blacker as well as my interview with Emily uh, from that night. But I do want to point out one thing that impressed me on listening to this again, uh, something to listen for, and that's how many actual fully realized storylines Emily managed to thread through this pilot. There are multiple characters beyond Paul, the title character, who go on real emotional journeys with beginnings, middles, and ends. And that's not an easy thing to do in the confines of a 22-24 minute comedy pilot. I also want to give a special mention to Busy Phillips' daughter, Birdie, who did a great job despite being up way past her bedtime. So, without further ado, here is Dead Pilot Society live from Largo with Frontman by Emily Kapnick after a brief message. Are you sad and confused about world politics? Worried about the upcoming inevitable nuclear war? Or maybe a rat is living in your house? There's a rat living in my house. How do you get rid of a rat from a house? Why not immerse yourself in a completely fictional, imagined podcast for the beef and dairy industries? It works for me. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is the number one podcast for those involved, or just interested, in the production of beef animals and dairy herds. Don't worry, it's funnier than it sounds. Find us at beefanddairynetwork.com or maximumfun.org or wherever you get your podcast from. Oh, God, there's the rat. Oh, God. Thanks, Ben. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Ben. How's it going? Good. Thank you guys all so much for being here. Uh, I assume everyone knows what this is, but in case you don't, uh, here at Dead Pilot Society, we take comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed in networks but never shot and, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, we do this to them. Um, the most, you know the most common question, Ben, I get about... What is it? Is it, are we ever going to do this again? When I, when I talk me? to... The most common question when I talk to people about Dead Pilot Society is, um, uh, what is dead? Does that mean when you go night-night and you never wake up again? That's the most common question when I talk to three-year-olds about Dead Pilot Society. But when I talk to adults about Dead Pilot Society, they, they say, oh, did, did, has, have any of these pilots gotten revived? And, you know, has a network picked up any of them and given them a second chance? And the thing about that, I understand the question, but that's not really the point. You know, the point is, we, you know, writers write these, you know, I'm a television writer, you're a television writer, we, you know, we, we write these pilots uh, to be read out loud and, and to be performed. We're not novelists. We're, you know, we don't write these, these things just for the sake of writing. And, and often you just, you know, the, the network makes the call and it goes in a drawer and you never get to hear it read out loud. It just sort of, it's like it never happened. And no, you don't get to hear people laugh 
uh, at it. And so the point is just to, you know, for, to entertain you folks, obviously, but, but also to, you know, for writers to get to hear their work out loud. That said... <laughs> it is. Let me, let, me inter- let me interject for yes, just a second. Yes, sorry, yes. This is very often the first and usually only time a writer gets to hear a dead pilot out loud, which is, as a writer with dead pilots, as we both are, that's enormously rewarding. I still get, we put out an episode uh, that was an adaptation of the movie Big, starring Tom Hanks. We put out an adaptation by Mike Royce and Kevin Beagle. And to this day, we did this a year ago, to this day, Mike Royce emails me and says, man, I just love that so much. It was so great to hear it. And that's incredibly satisfying. It really does make it so worthwhile, you know, all the effort. Now, you were saying. I was going to say, that said, (laughs) if there are any network executives... Here, or who listen to the podcast, just do it. Just pick up, pick one of them up. Because yeah. then, when people ask me, you know, that question is, have any of them gotten a second? I can just say yes, <laughs> and I don't have to go into all that. Yes, it's about getting to hear it. Like, yes. So tonight, so I read, you know, the first script we're going to hear. I, I got sent a script called Frontman by Emily Kapnick. Hold your applause because I'm going to bring her actually out in person in a minute. And I loved this script so much. Um, and I, you know, I sent it to Ben. I was just like, we've got to do this, but it's a musical. It's got all these songs, and we're going to have to find people to sing, and we'll probably need a band. It's going to be so hard. And so Ben thought, you know, let's just do two musical <laughs> episodes. That was it. Like, yeah, that does sound hard. Let's, let's do two of them. Um, we have and, the band. And Why found it. And, uh, and it is actually, it's, it's been okay. hard, but it's been kind of great. We normally, when we do these, I mean, it's a completely cold read. Actors come in with the script and they just read it for the first time in front of all of you. We've done a little, rehe- little more rehearsal we had to this time, but it's... Uh, it won't it, show. It won't show. Yeah. <laughs> it's not well rehearsed. It's just a tiny, No, these tiny actors are rehearsed. incredible. This is the amazing thing about, about putting something like this together. The actors we get are so incredible. First of all, you'll never realize that we've only rehearsed it once or twice. More incredible than that, you could never afford the quality of actors that we get for these things if these were actual shows. It's, we have so many, this is, I'm so excited for this. So let's get we, to it. Let's get to it. Okay, so uh, let me yeah, bring out the writer. Are you guys writer. ready? Yeah. Let's do it. I'm gonna get out of here. Guys, I'll see you later. Bye, Ben. Have a good time. He'll be back. Um, I'm going to bring out the writer uh, of, of our first pilot. Um, she's the creator of Suburgatory, <laughs> Selfie, the upcoming Splitting Up Together on ABC, Emily Kapnick. <laughs> Hi, Emily. Hi. This excessive. We need all of these... <laughs> it's not just for us. There's going to be more people coming. I mean, we could do it. You and I could read the script, but I don't think it's going to be as good. So let's... Uh, I love this script so much. So let's start with... Yeah. Who did you... What network did you write the script for? We wrote it for Fox. And you say we, but we, it just you. It was yeah, just it was, you. It was just me. Yeah. <laughs> so this was two development seasons ago? It was, Okay. Yes. We uh, were... No. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was two development seasons ago, and um, it was myself and Brownstone, which is Elizabeth Banks' production company, okay. and... 
Oh, we yeah. should have told her about this, but we didn't. She could have been here. Um, I, I did. So, just so you, uh, Elizabeth, thanks for coming. Thanks for being here, Elizabeth. Uh, so, for the the script is about a, a sort of wannabe rock star who, you know, won't give away a ton, but who joins a wedding band. So, can you tell me a little bit about where this came from, where the idea came from? Yeah, um, well, uh, she had just come off doing the Pitch Perfect movies, and we had wanted to do, you know, a comedy that had a music element. And so we sort of sat down and talked about different areas, and she has a brother who, this is sort of a version of who her brother is. Maybe I've not met him, but I assume it's very close. Um, (laughs) And apparently, like, you know, he had a recording studio when they were growing up, and the parents really indulged him, and... So that sort of became like the little germ that Frontman okay. evolved into. Um, and I just want one of the things I love about it, it's so hard, the opening scenes of pilots are, are really hard to write. Yes. And what's great about this was, I, I'm not going to jinx it, I'm going to say, I think there'll be people laughing from almost the very opening moments of this pilot. I'm going out there and saying that. And it's so great, you, you, you get such a sense immediately of who this guy is and you create that character instantly. That's not a question. I'm just praising you. Um, so how was that process of, of you know, the development process and writing the script? I mean, um, you may have noticed on the cover page there were 9,000 drafts, um, a lot of notes. And, you know, I, I think that um, early on we had hired um, someone to sort of talk about music with us and which songs would, you know, work the best in the show, and we were all obviously very invested, as you always are. Um, but it was it was a great process until, you know. <laughs> that, yeah. that one day. Did you see it coming? No. Um, <laughs> um, no, it seemed like it was having a really, as you, you know, a really blessed sort of path. I mean, we certainly were doing a lot of um, revisions, but really that's a good thing. What, I, yeah, what were those... Was there a theme to those revisions? Was there something you were getting notes that you were getting, like likability, things that you were... In hindsight, um, (laughs) I now understand that there was a theme that would become the theme of why the show wasn't going forward. And I think it had to do with, um, I guess what we were sort of made to understand was that Fox wasn't loving the man-child aspect. So that was sort of like a... Have you heard that before? <laughs> I have heard that. I'm wondering if, I mean, uh, it's often, well, they don't actually say, oh, he seems like a loser, but when you have characters who aren't just fucking great at their jobs yeah. and crushing it, yeah. then they think they're losers. Yes. Yes. I love losers. Um, I do love writing losers. Um, no, but not losers, but I mean, I just think that obviously if you don't have flaws to overcome then you know right and he's not a loser i mean he's, he's, not, he's, a, no. he's a man child but he's, he's not a, yes he's, he's, he's talented and i think that yeah. there was a lot done to sort of illustrate that um but yeah no we did a lot and and again you know all of those revisions were seen as a good thing i mean that people are invested when you hear nothing right. you, that's a that's, bad sign that's the bad part yeah so yeah. yeah, when they're calling and it's like Christmas and like we're still getting on the phone, it's Christmas Eve. Like, okay, more notes, okay. Right. <laughs> New Year's, Happy New Year, more notes. And like you definitely felt like, oh, shit. Up in, you were in there right in, yeah. up until the last, yes. the last moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, 
That's a crime, as you'll all, you're all about to find out. Um, I think, uh, anyth anything else you want to say or do you want to hear it? I want to hear it. All right, all right. Who's that band? Thanks, Emily. All right, I am going to first bring out our amazing band, uh, Philip Cronengold, Jordan Katz, Daniel Rhyme, Trip Beam, and Josh Lopez. And now our cast, playing the front man, Paul Josh Peck. <laughs> playing Ron, Daniel Strauss. As Vivian, Allison Tolman. Playing Chad and Keith, Matt Micucci. And just for the sake of the rhyme, playing Nana and Lara, Maria Blasucci. As Eileen, Kate Flannery. And as Len, Jim O'Hare. As Glenn, Joel Spence. As Kit, Michael Cassidy. As Dr. Groner, John Ross Bowie. As part of our backup singers, Tawny Newsom and Janina Gavankar. As Hope, Busy Phillips. And last but certainly not least, make sure it lasts. Last but certainly not least, as Aurora, Bertie Silverstein. This is Frontman by Emily Kapnick. It's our cold open. We fade in. We're interior studio night. Paul Fugelman in his late 20s is in a darkly lit recording studio. With headphones on and eyes closed, a click track counts him in. Paul leans into the mic and sings. The lyrics are half-baked, but he can sing. Da da da, something meaningful. Yeah da da, how I need you so. Da da da, something something old and softly. 
them more loudly, then my voice will tremble slightly as I take you to the bridge. I don't think I need a bridge. I'll go right to the chorus, which is catchy. Yeah, the chorus is so catchy. Yeah, the chorus keeps repeating. And it's really, really catchy. A buzzer sounds. We widen to reveal that the washer has just finished its cycle. Paul's recording studio is, in fact, the basement of his parents' house. Alongside the professional gear is a washer, dryer, bikes, board games, and tons of relics from Paul's well-documented childhood, including three self-released albums. Mom! Mom! We're interior of the Fugelman dining room. Paul pads into the dining room wearing slippers, cleaning the head of his microphone with a toothbrush. Hey, uh, Mamushka, I, I know I asked you to do laundry, but when the wash cycle ends in the middle of my song... Paul stops in his tracks. Alongside Eileen, his mother, and Len, his father, sits Nana, his Nana, Dr. Groner, the family therapist, and Ron, Paul's best friend since childhood and part-time manager who looks particularly guilt-ridden. What's all this? Uh, sit down, son. Dr. Groner, Ron, Nana? Hi, Paul. Let, <laughs> let's, let's see. Uh, family therapist, childhood friend, respected elder, the good salad plates, yet no visible salad. I, I thought we could use them for bread. What is, what is this, an intervention? Paul, we have gathered here tonight over lamb to discuss your well-being. I'm a very well-being. Are you? What is it you were doing downstairs? Uh, building a mystery. I see. <laughs> because it sounded to us like you were struggling a bit, lyrically. <laughs> well, doctor, lyrics aren't everything. A, a song about an umbrella went quadruple platinum. That song wasn't about an umbrella. <laughs> okay, Nana. Stupid. Paul, it, we think it might be time for you to get out from under our umbrella. Are, are, you, are you trying to use my own reference against me? Is she trying to use a 2007 Rihanna song to kick me out of my house? But it isn't your house. It's their house. You, you gotta make your own way in this world, son. I, I'm sorry, but it's time. But what about my art? At this point, I think it's fair to say that your art is really just an expensive hobby. <laughs> Did you hear that, Ron? <laughs> well, you're not laughing, Ron. Yeah, because it's not funny. Paul crosses to a decorated trophy case. Oh, I see. So I guess all these talent show ribbons and first place trophies and playing the lead in Pippin at a very prestigious performing arts campus have show. all made you terrified to fail in the real world. It's very common amongst your generation. Millennials have parents who spoon-fed them everything except the one thing they needed most. Iodine. Failure. What? what? <laughs> I'm still talking about failure. And the resilience that follows failure is one of the many important skill sets that Paul has yet to develop. You may think your parents' caretaking is helping you, but the truth is, it's hurting you. Dr. Groner looks sharply at Josh's mom, Eileen, who is in the process of cutting Paul's meat. She oh. stops. 
Oh, oh, come on. Come on. How could cutting someone's meat hurt them? Not cutting it, sure. But, I mean, I could choke, but cutting it? You're a grown man. You should be cutting your own meat, doing your own laundry, paying your own bills, supporting yourself. I agree. Okay, maybe you should discuss my finances with my part-time manager over there and... Got you an audition that you refused to go to? It's a job, singing. Covers, a job singing covers. So what? It's a paying gig. They do weddings and bar mitzvahs and proms. It might be fun to be in a band. It's not a real band. Well, what is your definition of a real band? A real band. Flu, Florence, Fall, Fallout, Pumpkins, Pixies, Dixies, Paramore, Peas, Keys, Crows, Cab, Cutie, Hootie, Jacket, Parentheses, My Morning. Very discriminating for someone who's never earned a paycheck. Delusions of grandeur are also very common amongst his peer group. Hey, don't look at me. I make my living as an accountant. Okay, this is our fault. We should have made him play team sports. Life is the biggest... The biggest team sport there is, so pack a bag. Paul, it's time to get off the bench. Okay, fine. You want to throw me out? Fine. But I'm taking this. He grabs the lamb roast and tucks it under his arm. (laughs) And this. He grabs a gravy boat of au jus. (laughs) Don't take the au jus. The au jus is going to be very messy. And also, I'm taking this. Paul attempts to wrench the dinner roll that his nana is buttering from her hand, but she hangs on. Eileen looks away as the two engage in a struggle. No, 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 it's okay. No, this is okay. We are doing the right thing here. Sweetie, we really are. Finally, Paul gives up on the roll and exits the front door with a slam. I know that was incredibly difficult, but because of your work here tonight, Paul is about... Eat a whole lamb. I, okay, I was gonna, I was gonna say discover his inner strength, but I suppose it's possible he'll do both. And that's the end of the cold open. Act one, we're interior Paul's Nissan Versa. His lips are slick with au jus. He weeps as he gnaws at a chunk of lamb. His parked car is jammed full of his belongings. Don't You Worry, Child by Swedish House Mafia plays on the radio. Through tears, he expertly sings along. There was a time I used to look into my father's eyes. In a happy home, I was a king, I had a golden throne. He guzzles Oju directly from the gravy boat. Up on the hills across the blue lake That's where I had my first heartbreak A tapping on the glass interrupts. It's Ron. Paul cracks the window ever so slightly. Come on, man. Get, get out of the car. You want to go? Because if I get out of this car, we're going to go. Oh, let's go. Oh, let's go? Yeah. It's go time. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's go. Paul let's flies go. out of the car. Wild-eyed, he rips off his coat as though preparing to fight. Paul rushes around the car and grabs Ron by the Come shirt. On roughly pulling him into what can only be described as a bear hug. Are we hugging? It feels like we're hugging. We're hugging! Look, Paul, I'm sorry. Okay, I had no idea they were going to throw you out. I guess I should have seen it coming. Maybe it's time to switch gears, you know? The original stuff wasn't exactly taking off. Hey, hey, remember sophomore year? Yo, my name is P-Nice, and this is Ron Ransom. All the ladies love me because I'm eloquent and handsome. (laughs) God, what happened? Nothing. 
I grew up. I became an adult. I know, bro. You're adulting so hard right now. And you have been for years. Yeah, and it's awesome. I have a beautiful wife and a beautiful house and a beautiful daughter and a rewarding job that may not sound sexy. But it brings in the dollar bill, son. <laughs> Unlike being my manager. I, I will never stop being your part-time manager, okay? <laughs> it's led to some of the best adventures of my life. Yeah. Hey, remember when I insisted that you listen to The Chronic on Chronic? But you couldn't find any weed? Yeah, so I smoked a hemp cardigan that I bought at Urban Outfitters. <laughs> <laughs> and you got so sick. I was hospitalized, actually. I almost died. <laughs> <laughs> then it turned out you needed platelets. And you gave me yours, because you're a, a universal, universal donor. donor. <laughs> Look, I'm sorry, Paul. I, I hate that you think I gave up on you. How could you not? I mean, my last, old, uh, my last album sold nine copies. And three of them were to me. I'm on my own now, like Eponine, but I'm like her. <laughs> but I'm like her, I'm cool with it. Is that a, uh, a, a Les Mis reference? Yeah, bro. <laughs> it is. Ron watches Paul head back to his car. Hey, remember Senior Showcase? Paul stops, he smiles, remembering. Yeah, I sang your body is a wonderland. And after? I had a three-way with some girls from the lacrosse team who loved John Mayer. Exactly. Covers aren't so bad. And we go to Ron's bedroom later. Ron's in bed with his wife, Vivian, an alpha-type mommy blogger who doesn't suffer fools. Okay. <laughs> you know, what, what, what if he stays with us temporarily? Where? In Aurora's room. Yeah, she, she has a trundle. Are you kidding? Do you have any idea how hard I worked to get her to sleep in her own room? Do you even read my blog? <laughs> of course I do. But he's my best friend. Yeah, he's living in his car right now, and I'm partly to blame. What about me? Huh? I work from home. How's that going to go with him in the house all day? He won't be. He's going to be working at his job. What job? I got him to agree to go to that audition, and I know he's going to get it. Fanboy. He's talented. All right, just wait until they hear Paul open his lips and sing. We go to a practice room. Chad, in his early 20s, pale and freckled, tries to spice things up with choices as he auditions for the shenanigans. Red, red wine goes to A red, red wine, you make me feel so fine It feels so fine all of the time The line broke, the monkey got choked We all went to heaven in red, red wine We, re we reverse on Kit, the artsy but defeated founder and bass player of the shenanigans And Hope, his headstrong, talented wife Who is also the band's keyboard player they sit behind a long table covered in headshots. Uh, Chad? That was rousing. Thanks, yeah. It felt amazing. We'll be in touch. Yeah, you'll call me. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> 
Chad exits the room, pumped. As the door closes... So it's not Chad. She holds up a photo. Okay, what about this guy? No. On a scale of Chad to ten, that guy was a Chad for me. He was sterile, he was passionless. Well, unless we're canceling our next gig, we need to hire someone, and there's only, like, one other guy out there. Lucky for y'all's, it's me. We widen to reveal that Paul is already in the room. Oh, okay. Hi. We, uh, we usually call you in when we're ready. I was born ready. Right. No. I was talking about us. Sorry. Yeah, I, I just heard how bad Chad was, and I figured you'd be pretty wet for me to get in here. What did you just say? Do you smell, do you smell au jus? <sighs> yeah, I mean, you know, up until now, I'd always considered myself more of a Beyonce than an En Vogue. Beyonce but... wasn't in En Vogue. <laughs> Hence my three self-titled LPs, Paul, This Is Paul, and Hello, I Must Be Paul. He tosses each of the albums down uh, on the table. But recently, my label slash parents decided they <laughs> no longer wished to executive produce my life. I was... I was rendered, as they say in the entertainment industry, homeless. And also, as they say in the financial community, penniless. Which is what brings me here today. Uh, Okay, but you are a singer. (laughs) Is Alyssa Milano active on social media? (laughs) She is, she's she's incredibly active on social media. What kind of stuff? Uh, Mostly breastfeeding pics. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) you meant me. Uh, Hey, hey, let me tell you a little bit about us. We're the shenanigans. Stop it. (laughs) We're currently the fifth best-reviewed party band on Gigmaster. Fifth, wow. You're being facetious, but fifth is pretty good. It's fourth from the best. Fifth keeps us busy. Let's just say our dance card's been pretty full con numero cinco. But recently, we lost our front man. Well, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe with some, someone new at the helm, we could be fourth. Or even third. All right, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yes, let's not. Uh, Because while technically I'm here to audition for you, in a sense, you're also auditioning for me. I mean, I need to believe there's a small part of you that dreams of being first. Because if there isn't, well, it really doesn't matter how well I can sing. Red, red wine. Sorry? Red, red wine. That's that's our audition song, our preferred audition song. It is? Why? That's a terrible song. It's repetitive, monotonous. I, I don't see what red, red wine can possibly tell you about any singer. I mean, give me something I can bleed to. Give me some growl. I'm learning to walk again. Okay. <laughs> That's cool, bros. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, just, oh, hold, just hang on a sec. Um, here, here's just a, a set list to look over. Kit hands Paul a page and huddles with hope. Babe, what are you doing? This guy's a pompous jackass. Maybe I don't disagree with him about the song. Well, you know, then maybe Chad should get another shot. At least he has passion. We are a party band, okay? He's not going to get to choose the material he's passionate about. And I would argue that a good singer can make any song. Baby, give me that toot toot. Let me give you that beep beep. 
Hope and Kit stop mid-argument to take in Paul's impromptu performance of Ignition by R. Kelly. Plucked from the set list page. His rendition is unexpectedly great. Running a hand to my pro, bouncing on 24s. Well, they say on the radio, it's a remix to Ignition. Hot and fresh out the kitchen. Mama rolling that body, got every man in here wishing. Hope looks defeated. She can already tell she's going to be stuck with this clown. Kit, on the other hand, is totally and utterly enraptured. Come on! He made every one of those bounces his own, and you know it. That's the end of Act One. Act two, we're interior of the Ransom dining room. Ron, Vivian, Paul, and Aurora eat at the family dining table. How was your day, sweetheart? Oh, honestly, pretty tight. <laughs> I mean, I dopely got the first job I ever applied for. Take that, mom and dad. <laughs> Yo, Paul's a money maker, never been a faker. Don't believe me, chief. Why my pockets on with paper? Okay. Yes, okay. Like that. Paul? <clears throat> I was talking to my child. Oh, uh, right. All eyes move to Aurora, Ron and Vivian's adorable daughter who is seated next to Paul. My day was a lot less exciting. No one offered me a job. But I did make a macaroni necklace in art. Well, that's awesome. Awesome. Come on. We're in Aurora's room later. Paul, tucked into Aurora's trundle bed, is sulking. You okay, Uncle Paul? Uh, yeah, I, I guess I just didn't see myself in a trundle bed at this stage of my life. I get it. I really liked your third album. What about the first two? The extra blanket. <laughs> Depends. Does it have a princess on it? Aurora holds up the blanket. It does. Mulan is pretty dope, though. Well, I have an early assembly tomorrow. I should probably get some shut-eye. Aurora turns off the overhead light and turns on her dream light, a plush ladybug nightlight that shoots multicolored stars all over the bedroom. Whoa, what the actual fuck? Like it. I love it. I, I feel like I'm at Coachella watching Flying Lotus tripping my ball sack off. <laughs> Don't tell my mom I'm not supposed to have it. Why not? I mean, anyone who would stand in the way of this miracle is literally an enemy of fun. And we cut to Hope and Kit's bedroom. Hope watches her husband sleep. Are you watching me sleep? No, I'm reading. Kit opens one eye to find his wife's face an inch from his own. He kicks off the sheets, exasperated. Oh, come on! 
You're this mad just because I hired a singer you don't like? <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious that you think that's what I'm mad about. If it's hilarious, why aren't you laughing? Because it's the hilariously sad, not hilariously funny. That's not a kind of hilarity. When Dr. Morris found that polyp on your vocal cord and said you couldn't front the band anymore, do you know what I thought? You probably thought, we'll never find someone as good as Kit. But I'm telling you, that guy has something, a spark. Good. And he's totally right. I mean, why am I content with fifth best? Why have I become so complacent? He, he has all the cockiness and the optimism that I used to have when we were first starting out. I thought, good. What? I thought, I don't know, maybe now my husband will stop treating this band like his baby and he'll be ready to have an actual baby with me. Wow. So we're here again? Oh, I've been here the whole time. I just, I just don't think we're ready. Honey, come on. I mean, between with what I make teaching and what we've pulled in with the band. No, no, I'm, not, I'm not talking about money. Then don't say we aren't ready. Say you aren't ready. You aren't ready to stop celebrating other people's families so that we can focus on starting our own. And after six years of marriage, I would like to know why. I just don't think I would be any good at babies. I see. Well, it really sounds like you thought through your position. I guess there was no point in me bringing it up again. And I guess there was also sort of like no point in me Coming to bed in those, that's weird now. Hope opens her robe, revealing a sexy peach-colored chemise. Peach nighty. Oh, come on, you know how I feel about peach nighty. That is a low blow. That is a very low blow, and I felt it right in the peach noise. We're in interior practice room the next day. Kit is in the process of introducing Paul to the shenanigans, including Glenn, the mild-mannered saxophone player who also owns a health food store, and Lara, their sexually repressed backup singer who lives with her grandmother. Uh, yeah, if, if it's at all possible, I, I'd love the band to refer to me as P-Nice. <laughs> that sounds like penis. Okay. <laughs> Hello, now we know where this lady's head is at. Oh my God. I'm Laura. I'm a backup vocal. Everyone, this is our new front man, P-Nice. Okay, any more diva demands? I mean, fresh cut flowers in your dressing room, perhaps? Glenn rises and shakes Paul's hand. Hello, Glenn, alto sax. You know, uh, I briefly toured with Bob Seger. And he had some really wild backstage demands. He insisted on juicy fruit gum and dwarves. Well, are you sure the dwarves weren't just his children and they liked gum? Huh. What an interesting perspective. I'm sorry, are we going to actually practice? Because I have to teach choir this afternoon. So Let's get started. Uh, our next gig is a gay wedding. Uh, hey, Kit. Uh, pretty sure yep. you uh, don't need to say gay wedding. Oh. I think you could just say wedding. Okay, fine. Right, because like, if you were playing a straight wedding... You wouldn't, you, you, you wouldn't say straight wedding. We are all in agreement. We all agree. Yes, we agree. Okay. However, the same-sex wedding 
Mm-hmm. Marketplace? Yep, sure. Okay, the same-sex yep. wedding boom stands to double our marketplace, so this event's an important one, okay? Hopefully the first of many. And the groom sent over a set list. Kit reaches in his bag and distributes copies of the list. And you'll see their taste is pretty traditional, with, with the one exception of... Jump around! Yeah. <laughs> Apparently they met at a bar called House of Pain. Oh, boy. <laughs> no, I, no I, I say we push back. I mean, tell them there are more relevant choices out there, songs that will better resonate with our audience. No, our audience is them. They are the ones that hired us. But it's not even a gay song. Uh, strongly disagree. Uh. <clears throat> Glenn. Uh, hey, are you, you cool? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm very cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably the coolest one here. I'm, I, you know, I'm just not sure that that song showcases my abilities. It's not about you. It's just like in a pretty low register, whereas I tend to excel in my, my head voice. Maybe if we took an operatic approach. Um, I came to get down, I came to get down. Relax, we'll work on it together. It'll be great. It'll be great. Aw, oh, you see that, Kit? You are good at taking care of babies. <laughs> and we cut... To the street moments later, Kit and Paul walk to their cars. Man, she really hates you. Me? Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing about you. No, before you showed up, we had no beef. Really? No beef? You were completely vegan? I mean, we had some beef around the holidays. Very little. Until you. Absurd. That, that's like saying Katie Holmes had no beef with Scientology until Surrey. I think... That's somewhat accurate, isn't it? Hey. <laughs> you know, maybe we can get a place together when Hope leaves you. She's not leaving me. She's most likely leaving you. What? Why am I even talking to you about this? Like, are you even in a relationship? Uh, no, but my parents have been married 30 years, dude. And I never once saw my mom look at my dad the way your lady just looked at you. Kit stops in his tracks, taking that in. Shit. We've been together since college. I can't imagine my life without her. I don't want to. Well, then you need to champagne poppy her ass. What does that mean? Well, it means you need to get romantical. A hope knows I love her. But when's the last time you expressed that love by serenading homegirl with her favorite song using an impossibly girlish falsetto? I don't think she requires an impossibly girlish falsetto. Trust me, if there's one thing women can't resist, it's a grown man who can sing like a baby girl. And we cut to an auditorium. Hope rushes into the school auditorium that is already packed with two dozen chorus students, eight to 12 years old. Flustered, she organizes her sheet music as she races towards the piano. Hey, I'm sorry I'm late, you guys. Uh, can we do a quick, a quick vocal warm-up, okay? Who's the greatest singer in this choir? Me. Who's the smartest kid in this choir? Teacher and most giving wife in this choir. Hope looks up. Kit is standing in the back of the auditorium wearing an apologetic expression. 
There's a beat, then Kit launches into Please Don't Leave Me by Pink. How did I become so obnoxious? Wow, that is an impossibly girlish falsetto. What is it with you that makes me act like this? Babe, stop, you're polyp. I've never been this nasty. Pink, huh? You, you must feel really bad, you guys. The choir joins in for the chorus. choked up. Kit wraps his arms around her. I'm sorry if I made you feel like the band was more important. There's nothing more important. And I know you'd be an amazing mom. One choir member, nine-year-old Raul, stands up and shouts, Less talking, more grinding! Can it, Raul! Just, just look how great you are with Raul! I promise to put more thought into starting our family. You're my only hope. Kit kisses Hope deeply. The kids applaud. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a romantic. <laughs> what suddenly got into you? If I'm being completely honest, P-noise. <laughs> and that's the end of Act Two. Act three, we're in Aurora's room at night. Paul watches from his trundle as Vivian sits on Aurora's bed negotiating the release of the ladybug nightlight. Aurora, that nightlight is a crutch that you don't need. Now give me the ladybug. Come on, hand her to me. Aurora, no. You need her to fall asleep. No, you don't. Aurora looks at Paul and frowns. She hands over the ladybug sadly. Vivian gives her daughter a kiss. Good girl. It's okay to be afraid. You're braver than you think. Vivian turns off the light and exits, leaving Aurora and Paul in the dark. You see? That's why I hate parents. Because they suck. I'm scared of the dark. Of course you're scared of the dark. The dark is super scary. Terrible things happen in the dark. I mean, at least your fear is rational. I'm scared of things that aren't even scary. Like what? I don't know. Choking on me, crushing it for the gays. What? What? Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, you know some daddies love Springsteen and some daddies love Pet Shop Boys? No. Uh, okay. Uh, so, like, some daddies love Kings of Leon and some daddies love Lady Gaga. I know what gay people are. Half the kids in my class have two moms or two dads. Okay. Uh, well, we're playing this gay wedding. You don't have to say gay wedding. You could just say wedding. Uh, well, you, you know, I'm, I'm mostly a studio musician, right? Well, that means I haven't really performed much in front of a big audience, so I'm experiencing slight panic at the disco because our family shrink got in my head a little, and, and what if I get out there and... Suck? So incredibly woke. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll give, you my, I'll give you my macaroni necklace. It has special powers. 
Aurora runs over to her desk and grabs the multicolored necklace. She loops it around Paul's neck with a smile. We go to the banquet room the next night. The shenanigans are dressed in matching burgundy outfits. They're setting up on the stage of the banquet room for their gig. Paul paces and adjusts his macaroni necklace anxiously. This thing is useless. It's literally a piece of garbage. It's not doing anything. He yanks off the necklace. Hey, Paul, buddy, you good? Oh, the good, yeah, the goodest. Yeah, I'm just, uh, is this microphone abnormally heavy? It just feels like really heavy in my hand. And I think I just, I, I might be having some sort of reaction to the LeMay. Is this, is this LeMay? Is it LeMay? Paul does a weird jerking walk designed to scratch his body without actually scratching. What the hell is going on? I don't know. I think he's unraveling. Kit braces for an I told you so, but it doesn't come. Instead, Hope approaches Paul, gently placing a hand on his shoulder. Um, Paul, look, I know you're the kind of artist who relied pretty heavily on the support of your former executive producer slash parents. Paul peers at the crowd on the other side of the curtain. Oh, this is a much bigger crowd than we saw at Pippin. I realize that you, you may feel pretty alone right now, but I just want you to know you aren't. We're all gonna be out there with you. Paul turns to find himself surrounded by the shenanigans, who now include their drummer Keith in his 20s. It's a warm crowd. They came to get down. And you're gonna get fed. And you're gonna get tipped. And if you play your cards right, you might get to take home a floral arrangement. <laughs> or a bridesmaid. <laughs> And you'll see, in time... We go to a series of fantasy scenes. The first in a retirement home. We see Paul dancing with an elderly woman at her 85th birthday party. Their Nana will become your Nana. We cut to a temple where we see Paul in a yarmulke dancing the horror with a bunch of 13-year-olds at a bar mitzvah. Their religion will become your religion. We go to a parking lot where Paul is making out with a bridesmaid in the parking lot of a church. Their closest friends will become your closest friends. And now a bathroom stall. You'll share an intimacy you didn't think possible. Paul is with a bride in the bathroom stall, <laughs> holding her massive dress up while she squats over the toilet to pee. We go back to the banquet room stage. And it will become impossible to walk away. Kit turns to hope. Because one night a week, you can forget everything else, go out on that stage, and do the very thing you dreamed of doing as a kid. Paul looks annoyed. What, is this still about me? And it really doesn't matter if you're fourth or fifth. Because you rock. The curtain has started to rise now, revealing the packed wedding reception. The crowd cheers with excitement when they see the band. The shenanigans turn to face their audience. Keith on bagpipe plays the opening refrain. I forgot, are we, are we going with the operatic version? No. no. Pack it up, pack it in, let me begin. I came to win, battle me, it's a sin. I won't ever slack up, punk up if you back up. Try and play a role and you're the whole crew will act up. Paul forgot he wasn't alone up there. He shares a moment with Laura as they head into the chorus that has the grooms and all their guests jumping around on the dance floor. Paul turns to Kid and Hope, clearly enjoying the camaraderie. Okay, Beyonce must be out of her mind. <laughs> 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 
We go to the Ransom living room late that night. Paul sneaks in quietly, then startles at the sight of Ron and Vivian on the couch. Aurora is asleep beside them. Oh, crap. Is this another eviction? Sit down, Paul. I know you're aware that I have been trying to liberate Aurora from her nightlight dependency. Yes, I'm aware. But you may not be aware that recently she transferred that dependency onto you. Me? Tonight, she refused to go to bed until you came home. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm touched, Paul. <laughs> I am very, very, very touched. That's how she looks when she's touched. I haven't seen her like this since our wedding night. <laughs> On her way home from school today, Aurora used her own money to stop and buy you this. Vivian hands Paul a bag. He looks inside. It's a hand blender. So he never chokes on his meat. <laughs> you know, Vivian was worried that as an only child, Aurora would grow up being too self-absorbed. But the love and compassion that she's demonstrated for you, well, it, it's really something to blog about. <laughs> Aurora sits up, rubbing her eyes. Bedtime. Bedtime. Paul scoops Aurora up and carries her towards the stairs, pausing for a moment. You know, when she was born, you pretty much stopped wanting to hang out with me altogether. And I can admit, I was, I was salty. <laughs> but now, yeah. Yeah, I get it. Paul and Aurora exit. Man, they're really growing up. <laughs> In Aurora's room, Paul sits on the edge of Aurora's bed. Did my necklace work? No. <laughs> no, the necklace was completely worthless. It was just some stupid noodles, you should have told me. But luckily, that gig didn't matter. I have a much more important gig coming up right now. This song used to suck because I didn't know who I was writing it for. But now I do. Who? You, bonehead. Paul sings using the same melody we heard him struggling with in the opening, but now with new lyrics. Little girl in the dark This verse still needs some work uh, but I promise you there's nothing here to fear Ladybugs fly away Cause you don't need them to stay When the time comes sink or swim You'll never sink Cause darling you are braver than you think Hey, my mom said that. Yeah. That maybe our parents don't suck that bad after all. I mean, let's be honest. If mine hadn't forced me to go on this journey, I probably never would have learned any journey. And we go to a gymnasium where the shenanigans are playing a high school prom whose theme is 80s metal. The crowd of teenagers is loving them. 
you enjoyed that i really need to thank kaylin west for making it sound so good uh, it also wouldn't have sounded so good without phil Cronengold and his fantastic band uh, as always thanks to my co-host ben blacker casting this one was just a huge effort um, and uh, ben's just bottomless contacts list was really helpful speaking of casting thanks to my friend sam laybourne for hooking us up with josh peck uh, thanks to mitch bukar at wme for all of his help Thanks to Ted Leo for our theme song, Courtney Hyde for our logo, and Noah Findling for everything else. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. We really don't want you to miss an episode. And while you're there, please, please leave us a rating. Also, you should really follow us on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram and Facebook at Dead Pilots Society. That way you'll find out about all of our live shows. Don't forget the next one. Go to Largo-LA.com. Get your tickets for our November show. Until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thanks for listening.